This is Tangent. Jarrett Fuller is a designer, writer, educator, editor, and podcaster. He is an assistant professor of graphic design at North Carolina State University, contributing editor at AIGA Ion Design, director of 26, a multidisciplinary design and editorial studio, and hosts the design podcast Scratching the Surface. He previously worked as a designer at Facebook, Warby Parker, and the Whitney Museum of American Art. He received his BFA in graphic design from Kutztown University and his MFA in graphic design and critical studies from Maryland Institute College of Art. In this episode, we discuss what graphic design is today, if it even exists anymore. Jared talks about how being a designer shapes everything he does and that the connection between writing and design is not as far as we may think. He shares how his students make him optimistic about the future of the design industry and why he intentionally makes things more difficult for himself. Okay, I wanted to start off with an easy question just to kind of warm things up. So what actually is graphic design today? <laughs> um, we don't I, have to start there. I'm, I was kind of partially kidding, but if you want to tackle it right off the bat, we can do it. Well, I'll, I, I will, I, I will not dodge your first question. I know I, I definitely have like interviewed guests where it's like the first, you, you ask the first question and then they just like give you some other answer and, and it just kind of like, <laughs> It's like, well, now how do I like follow up with that? Because you didn't answer my question. Um, I'm going to actually just steal something that I that uh, Mr. Keedy told me when he was on Scratching the Surface. And he said that graphic design doesn't exist anymore. Um, that it was a 20th century profession that started in the early you know, 1900s and then ended um, you know, around the turn of the century, around, you know, 2000 or so. And I tend to, I've come around to agreeing with that. And when I talked to Michael Rock for a piece that I was writing for Ion Design, he said something similar. And he said, graphic design ended in 2007 with the launch of the iPhone and the iPhone. And that's like a very like clean, you know, date. I don't know if I buy that specifically, but the iPhone put the tools of design in uh, millions of people's pockets um, basically democratizing it in a way that made desktop publishing seem very small. And I, I like that idea of, of thinking that graphic design as we know it is actually just sort of a thing of the past. I kind of, kind of buy into that a little bit. Yeah, so that's going to make the rest of this conversation interesting <laughs> because it's, in a way it's going to reframe every question. So, and, and maybe we can kind of... Yeah do that along the way but that i mean that was a that was a response i was expecting though yeah i mean and like i i'm conflicted in saying that also because like i'm a graphic design professor and i'm like when i do design work it's still like technically graphic design and so theoretically i think graphic design doesn't exist but my job my paycheck <laughs> tells me graphic design still does exist so who knows 
So maybe we can kind of unpack that a little bit kind of as we go through this. In in preparation for this and something that I was that I've been kind of thinking about was that when I was growing up, my mom, she was a nurse. I could say, you know, if somebody asked what did what did your mom do? It was an easy answer, a nurse. On the contrary, I feel like I am and, and, and many other designers are involved in many different things. You're a designer, mm-hmm. a writer, educator, podcaster, editor. What do you think about those different roles? Do you see them as being kind of one thing or are they siloed? I go back and forth on that. To, to be completely honest, I, I, I totally relate to the premise of the question. And I remember being very young and looking at my parents who you know like your parents had had one job that was that was you know very easily definable and i remember i remember being like young like seven eight nine thinking i don't want that um thinking i want to have a lot of jobs like i remember being you know probably eight or nine and saying like my day job is i'm gonna like work at a business but then on the weekends I'm going to be an artist and then at night I'm going to do the like I like I wanted to always cobble together these things so this interest uh, in doing a lot of different things not having one job ha- has been something that I've I've always been after and I think that's why I got out of kind of traditional graphic design very quickly because it became that sort of one job thing that you know was kind of boring to me um and so, so to answer your question specifically, I, I think of them as different things. Um, I, I sometimes make the joke, you know, back when I used to be a designer, as if that was like some other era, even though I'm still very, I still very much identify as a designer. Um, and so I think about the processes. I think about my role, the role that I play, whether I'm writing or designing or podcasting or teaching i think of those as different things yet at the same time i think of all of them as a type of design uh when i'm writing i'm i'm very clearly writing from the perspective of a designer when i'm teaching i'm very clearly teaching future designers and i'm teaching as a designer uh and so they all influence each other at the same time and so i'm i'm perhaps trying to have it both ways. Um, but I very clearly like think like, okay, today I'm doing writing work and that is different than the days that I'm doing design work. Um, yet they all relate and all overlap and, and they're all blurry anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I mean, that we could go a ton of different (laughs) routes based off of that response. I mean, do you, do you think kind of going back to, um, maybe how our parents worked or generations before compared to now, do you think that's a a generational thing? Do you think that will change with this upcoming generation or is this something that kind of will be set in the future? You have kind of all these different smaller jobs. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a sociologist or an economist um, as much as I would like to be sometimes. Um, But I, I, I do think it's generational and I think it's cultural, at least, you know, speaking from, from, you know, the perspective of the United States, I, I can't help but think I was in college when the 2008 financial crisis hit. And I think that sort of upset a lot of 
preconceived or assumed stability in the economic system. And I think you could, I don't have facts for this. I don't know if this is true. This is, I'm, I'm like kind of making this up as I go. Um, but it's interesting to me that that aligns with sort of the rise uh, or sort of the second rise of Silicon Valley elevated this idea of the gig economy, you know, where everybody's kind of the, the, the kind of permanent freelancer. And I think that's the system that that our generation, I don't know how old you are. I, I, I imagine we're close to the same age. Um, our generation grew up, grew up. Yes. Okay. Me too. Um, grew up in that system. Uh, and so I think it's like, uh, you know, I, I think it's totally gener. That's a very long way of saying I think it's totally generational. Is it permanent? I have no idea. So, it, kind of going back to your more specific answer to to the, my question, can you give any examples of how design is influencing you and in those different things, or maybe just in maybe just in teaching and and writing specifically? Actually, I think teaching and writing are like the very are very clear in how how I I kind of think about them as as a designer or approach them as a designer. Um my design education was one that was sort of rooted in what I'm going to call kind of traditional graphic design. It was mostly print based. It was a lot of layout based type things. It was grids and hierarchy and structure and uh you, you know all, kind of uh gestalt theory all of that. And that all of those ideas are not limited to laying out objects on a page. That's also, all of those things can be translated into the structuring of a syllabus, the unfolding of the material in the class. What day, what week in the semester should I teach this thing so then it can then, you know, ladder up to this thing later. And it's the same thing with writing and editing. I think a lot about the structure of my writing. What is the flow of this? How do, how do these sentences sit together? And to me, that is a very design way of writing. It's, it's thinking about what the text looks like. And I don't mean like, what does it visually look like on the, te- on the screen or the page? But, you know, what does it look like to read this? What is the rhythm of it? What, how does this sentence lead into the next? The same way I would think about how does this image lead the eye over to this piece of piece of text. Um, when, I, when I work with students in, in writing classes and writing workshops, I always tell them design and writing are the same thing. It's a type of collage. You're taking pre-existing things that you likely didn't design. You know, you're using photographs by somebody else. You're using illustrations by an illustrator. You're using text that a copywriter gave you. Uh, you're using colors that you didn't invent. You're using typefaces that were likely designed by somebody else. And your job is to figure out how do you put these together into some harmonious system so it communicates the thing that you're trying to communicate at the right register and tone. That's all writing is too. You're taking all these words and punctuation and phrases and grammar syntax and you're thinking, how do I put this together into a new composition to say this thing I'm trying to say with the right tone and voice and and that sort of thing? Um, And so I don't know if that, I'm not like really a professionally trained writer. I've taken many writing classes. I don't know if that is a a writerly way of writing, but I see it very much as a designerly way of writing. You know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's a great answer. Definitely come back to that to to kind of listen through that because I don't know, just the way you you put that and kind of have a uh, 
that perspective on that, I think will help because, you know, you know, you've mentioned in different podcasts, different episodes that you've done, which we'll talk about later, um, that your, your personal podcast is, you almost treat it as a selfish project (laughs) where you're, you know, the people you're interested in talking about the, the, the work you're interested in talking about that. I mean, I view this project uh, in that way as well. So I, I, you know, I'm curious about these things and I have a class coming up in in the next few weeks that'll start um, about design criticism. And and so how do you, yeah, how do you relate? You know, you kind of almost have to set up an argument for the students or, you know, a good reason why they should be interested in writing and how that how that mm-hmm. ties back to their design mm-hmm. practice. Yeah, I mean, I totally I, I, I totally see the podcast as like a way for me. It is a way for me to like work out things in real time with people smarter than me. Like that's how I describe <laughs> it to people. It's like, which is why here's I'm, this thing I'm, I'm interested in. With you. Well, thank you. I'm fl- yeah. You know how to flatter a guest. <laughs> um, I usually say that part before I hit record, so the guest, so the listeners never know how much I flatter them beforehand. <laughs> okay, um, this one I'll kind of stumble through a little bit, and and okay. maybe you can kind of help me work this out a little bit. It's it's something that I've noticed being in this profession, and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's. Uh, if it's true in other fields or if it's somewhat unique to this one, but I feel like graphic design is going through an existential crisis. We're questioning our mm-hmm. value, our role, our future. And you get a, a, a range of perspectives on it, kind of somewhat narcissistic view that designers should and, and you know, we could and should change the world, but also this kind of self-loathing and self-critical viewpoint, you know, where we just, we just decorate things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you see? Is that just me? Can you kind of expand on that at all? You know, here's what I think is really interesting is, yes, I do see that existential crisis. Um, and I think there, I'm, I'm going to say something that's like, perhaps kind of complicated and, and, and maybe controversial. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that we talk a lot, I hear a lot of language and a lot of discourse around like the ego of the designer, you know, like you're saying this, this idea that the designer can change the world, uh, that, you know, the designer savior complex, as I call it, where a designer can just kind of swoop in and, and, you know, make all of these changes. That is very problematic. I think, you know, I, I, I don't think that we should kind of view our profession that way or view our work this that way. But what I've come to actually believe is that a lot of that language is actually a mask for very severe insecurity. <laughs> um, I actually think graphic designers especially are the most insecure profession and especially the most insecure profession of other design professions. We're always like looking to architecture saying like, oh, we want to have like the discourse that architecture has or we're looking to fashion and like fashion designers have this sort of cultural cachet that graphic designers don't have or you look at like product designers who you know are making these products that are like selling for lots of money or you know famous for whatever reasons and graphic design is like the most nebulous and sort of like the the like small cousin of all of those and 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 then there's like if you look through the history of graphic design there is this like constant insecurity about the field needing to prove itself can you point in to anything specifically 
Yeah, I just I just read a book that I wrote a review for that will be coming out hopefully soon. I'm not totally sure. Um, uh, this book called After the Bauhaus, After the Bauhaus Before the Internet: A History of Design Pedagogy, which is essentially a history of of, of graphic design education. And there's it's really interesting to read essays in there about the Ulm School specifically, uh, which was sort of a an outgrowth of the Bauhaus. A couple of former kind of Bauhaus professors started that school in Germany after the Bauhaus closed. And we always think of the Bauhaus as sort of like the the kind of origins of graphic design education, but really the Ulm School is where a lot of the way we talk about graphic design was really sort of formed. At least that's what this book sort of kind of positions, I would argue. Um, but what's really interesting is that those professors at that school were basically saying like, what is our value? What does graphic design do? Like, why are we doing this? You know, like, how do we separate ourselves? How do we define what this is? The, the, we talk about like, oh, designs, all the design fields are blurring in some way. It's like, well, actually, if you go back 100 years, they were worried that the design fields were blurring and this thing called graphic design was too surface and too small <laughs> in some way. And so like you see that there, I think a lot of the discourse in the 90s around postmodernism and this design discourse around like we need to have design criticism really is rooted in this sort of insecurity of what well, we need to have. I mean, Vignelli, Massimo Vignelli said, if we don't have design criticism, we're not a profession. And this sense that like we need to have a serious discourse around us so people will take us seriously. Um, and I think that's I think that pervades today. And you see that now where it's like, oh, we're going to we're not going to call ourselves graphic design anymore. Now we're communication designers or now we're user experience designers or now we're digital designers. And it's like, well, if we keep changing our names, <laughs> you know, we're going to kind of lose that identity that we're already worried that nobody understands what we do. And so it's just, it's just like snake eating its own tail around like, you know, th this sort of like, why do we matter? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Sorry, I ranted a little bit. No, there, no, but... uh, no, I asked the question. So we've kind of hinted at education. I want to kind of focus a little bit more more on that. Um, in October last year, you recorded kind of a "Ask Me Anything" episode, which is a <laughs> which is atypical of your podcast, and we'll talk more yeah, specifically yeah. about that in a minute. But in that episode, you answer questions submitted. And um, by the way, I think you should do more of those. I've gotten more comments about that episode than like any other episode. I mean, that maybe that's not true, but I cannot tell you how many people have said, oh, that's, I listened to that. That was so helpful. I learned so much. Guests, like when guests come on the show, I say like, have you listened to any? Do you know the show? Do you listen to any? Multiple people now say, oh, I listened to that one with you, which was really helpful. <laughs> and so it's, it's so embarrassing, but I'm, I'm, thank you for saying that. Maybe I should do it again. Yeah, I, I, I like that. So anyway, I wrote, I wrote uh, a few questions and uh, things that came up through that uh, that I want to ask you about. Uh, someone asked, how, was, how has teaching informed your design practice? And um, you said a few things, but I wanted to read something back to you, a quote. So I apologize. Uh -oh. if this, yeah. Okay. You said, and the thing that is really interesting about teaching is that it keeps me optimistic. I can be really cynical about design. I can be really down about the design field and profession. But in the classroom, I see so much potential. I see so many ideas and excitement. That, and that really keeps me excited about this. So I just wanted to ask, and this kind of maybe ties back to what we were just talking about. What, what are you cynical about? <laughs> 
I mean, the better question is like, what am I not cynical about? Jay, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a cynical person generally. Um, I mean, to be honest, I feel like a lot of my answers have been very cynical, just even talking to you. <laughs> um, I, I think there's this like insecurity that is sort of halting us in a lot of ways. I think there's this, this like quest for relevance that I think is like, makes me really cynical. And then on the other side, I think this sort of like savior complex, you know, is I'm, I'm like, come on. So do you feel like you, you have the, like you have those kind of, I don't know, those insecurities rooted in you as well? Or is that something that you just notice about kind of the profession as a whole? That's a really good question. Sorry if that's too personal. I mean, and, and maybe I ask just to say is because I, I feel those things. You know, I, I think I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I did. I definitely did in, in the early part of my career. I, I don't know if I do now. It's like, I, I don't think so because I kind of just don't care anymore. <laughs> you know? Like, 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 so it's just a graphic design professor. <laughs> right right like it's just it's like it's not a com i mean and i i don't I don't take the, i hope this doesn't come across the wrong way it's just like not a conversation that's like interesting to me to like talk with other designers about like oh do we matter uh <laughs> like and so i don't know the short answer is i don't know i don't think i i know i did and i think i've sort of i think that's where that optimism comes from uh mm -hmm. that, I, that i was talking about in the classroom is that um i think what teaching does is it it makes you less insular and less focused on yourself mm -hmm. and it becomes a communal activity and i think that has removed a lot of the insecurity that i may have had at one time because you know every every class you see 15 other people who are all approaching this from a different way and you're like well one of them is going to figure this out <laughs> you know and so it's like you know it's, it's like you don't have time to just kind of like be uh be cynical and depressed about it anymore you know what i mean i mean do you feel that i mean you're yeah. you you're teaching also do you have that does that does that like optimism relate to you yeah, absolutely i think you know you yeah i mean i would agree with everything you said kind of this initially this feeling which is maybe what pushed me back into uh to grad school and um yeah and maybe into even into teaching but then you know there's also this desire to project security and confidence to students that are going into a field where you feel is like kind of destabilizing yeah. under your own feet yeah. so you know yeah all that stuff makes sense and you you actually answered the second part of that question so what what makes you most optimistic yeah, I also think I also think students just get it. You know, yeah. they, you know, I I'm just like so impressed. Like I I think people who are who complain about the next generation, you know, or like yeah. talk about the the you know, all the stereotypes of young people, mm -hmm. I think are just wrong. Like mm -hmm. my students at every institution I've talked to are so big-hearted, they're so thoughtful they are critical of the systems under which they live whether that be capitalism or facebook you know it's like like th like th they're so intuitive to 
the the power structures of the world and how and, and so if I can kind of show how design can be a tool for them to think through those things, um, that's how I kind of see my job. And so I'm just like constantly impressed with the ideas and the thoughts that they have. And that's that's where a lot of that optimism comes from. Going back to that episode, you you also said that you think everyone is a graphic designer. Uh, that episode was a, roughly a year ago. Have you had any new thoughts around that? Yeah, it's hard to believe that was a year ago. That was mm-hmm. like a year ago already. Um, do you think that's still true? I do. I do think that is still true. I do think everybody is a graphic designer. And I think that kind of goes back to that, like graphic design is is dead in, in mm-hmm. some way. And and I do want to acknowledge like some of that is said in jest. Some of that is, is, is said, you know, you know, controversial, but it's like the same thing. It's like everybody's a writer too you know everybody's writing text messages and emails and memos and uh you know signs that they have to like put in their storefront and everybody's designing too everybody's like posting stuff on the internet and and i think that's all design do you think that it would be beneficial to have a required basic design class as part of a middle school or high school curriculum I don't know if I would say like required graphic design. Um, you know, although I am recalling in your question um, that my middle school had a graphic design class, which which I had like really not totally realized. Yeah, we made like logos and and stuff. Um, it was very very rudimentary, but and I sort of knew that I was interested in graphic design at the time, so it wasn't like that was the introduction. But that was a that was like a fun class. Um, what I do to 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 speak to this though a little closely, I do think there's there's something about like visual literacy mm. that would be really good for young people to learn and understand. How do the symbols? Um, and icons and visuals that we are surrounded by influence so much of our daily lives, whether that is like, you know, like media stuff, you know, like watching cable news or like watching TV or, you know, the way like a news feed works, whether that's on like Facebook or Instagram. I think like that type of knowledge, the way all of this visual currency is exchanged and how that shapes those exchanges, I think like that would actually be really cool for mm-hmm. like, you know, 13 year olds to to start questioning the algorithms and like, you know, the power of the Nike swoosh or something, whether they need to learn like Photoshop or like user experience methodologies. I don't know, but I think like a, a literacy or like a, uh, you know like media criticism for middle schoolers, I actually think would be great. I definitely didn't have a graphic design class. I don't think I heard that term until college, but um, Mm. I do remember a media class, but I think all they did was, you know, it was kind of like a, uh, a mock newsroom style, like things, things (laughs) going on in the school. Right. We had one of those too. Yeah. I do like the idea of kind of a visual literacy class. Yeah, I mean, I like 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 we had um we had like a civics class which was like how to, you know, here's how bills become laws and like here's how voting works and all of that. I think something like that mixed with like an English class where it's like 
here's grammar, here's syntax. And you put those together into like a visual literacy class would actually be um, kind of amazing. Something I, I think about often is how people get into graphic design. Uh, mm -hmm. Retrospectively, I, I noticed a lot of things in my childhood that kind of pointed me uh, to mm -hmm. graphic design, but album art and, and music definitely uh, had a direct influence in me getting into graphic design in college. Can you briefly uh, describe how you got into design and how do you think students get into graphic design today? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like you where I have a lot of retroactive things. And so I, I don't want this to sound overly linear. I remember learning handwriting and, you know, in like four or five years old and being like fascinated by how, even though I was learning the ways to make letters that all the adults that I knew made letters in different ways, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, 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 oh, that person's K is different than this person's K. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, the one I, I was fascinated by was the way some people would draw the number two with like a flat tail and some people would put like a little loop at the bottom. You know what I mean? I'm like yeah. drawing it in the air. Yes, you yes. can't see me. <laughs> um, and I remember being in like a grocery store with my parents and asking like, why does that two look different than this two? Um, I didn't know what typography was. They didn't know what typography was. I now see that as typography. I was um, obsessed with signage all through uh, elementary school. So, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, I loved seeing signs, seeing how signs were designed. I, we had a, I remember when we got our first computer and it had Microsoft print shop deluxe on it. And I would like <laughs> try to recreate the signs that I saw in the mall back at home, yeah. uh, you know, which was like very early kind of graphic design. Um, I was always interested in computers after, you know, after we got our first computer. And so like that was always there sort of kind of germinating in the background. Um, and then, and then just like you, you know, albums and album art and, and, uh, you know, all of that stuff became a big influence in, in middle school and high school. And then when I was in high school, when I was in middle school and, and then slowly into high school, I thought I wanted to be an architect. And, you know, I, I was interested in designed things. I did not know what the different professions were at the time. Um, and my friend and I, who lived next door to me, my best friend growing up, also wanted to be an architect. You know, we started, we started like a little architecture business where we like redesigned our friends' bedrooms and stuff and painted their rooms and like bought furniture and hung up things on the walls. And we made a website for it and, and like a logo and letterhead. And I kind of realized that I liked all that stuff more than the, the actual like architecture and interior design stuff mm -hmm. and then from there it was like i was on the internet and then i found blogs and i found all these like design blogs and i discovered that graphic design was a thing there and that's sort of that's sort of how all that happened it was sort of this thing that had been like percolating for a long time that when i was probably like 13 or 14 all of a sudden like oh all this stuff that i was interested in makes sense now <laughs> like these all actually are a thing and this is a thing i could do um if I were to go back, would I would I like study design again? That's maybe a question that we can talk about because I'm not sure. Um, but uh, to to answer the second part of your question about students today, I think I don't know. I think I think there are still students like us who kind of have that interest. I also think just digital culture is so much more pervasive that students see graphic design right in front of their faces a lot more. Um, 
and it's there's so many more opportunities to do it now even than there were when we were in school and 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 so many different ways to be a graphic designer that i think there's just like infinite number of ways that people sort of stumble into it it's interesting kind of and i've heard you talk about kind of how you got into design but how eerily similar and i i would imagine there's a ton more people kind of around our age that maybe had a similar interest even in mm-hmm. architecture and interior design i remember growing up and playing sims and i was more mm. obsessed about right laying out this house than actually playing you know playing through this person's life or anything so right right totally okay one more thing about that that particular uh episode uh you mentioned that you would like to see academia out in front of industry and set set the pace or the standard or culture for what happens in the industry what do you think that means and and that brings up to me it brings up you know the future of design education and design in 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 general and and what that'll look like in the next i don't know 5 10 years i think i mean what that means to me is that i think design education as as hard as it tries is still and this is a blanket statement i realize it's still very skills based um and i think you know, when I, sorry to keep going back to like my own education, but like when I was in school, I took like three classes on Macromedia Flash. Um, I have never used Flash (laughs) in my career since those three classes. Yeah. Um, And I think like we've largely gotten away from kind of like teaching software in that way, where I, I think for the most part, programs aren't organized that way, but it's still like organized around skills or mediums. And what I often see is what is the trend in the industry? Okay, we need to teach that in our program. Oh, everybody's into motion design right now. All these companies are hiring motion designers. Well, let's make sure that we have a motion design class, or let's make sure that students understand motion. Or, oh, you see this like AIGA survey that says the highest paying jobs are you know, interface designers, okay, well, let's, let's pivot and make everything about interface design. Um, and I think that's backwards. I, I, what I would like to see is people in education who are working with the next generation of designers to say, well, what else could this be? And let's start actually flipping that pressure. And so instead of saying, oh, all these companies are hiring motion designers, let's teach motion. Let's say, hey, we actually think that designers should be doing these types of things and learning these skills. Let's put them out into the industry and let the industry adapt to that. You know, because if we keep following the industry, the the change is going to be so much slower because the industry's goals are different than I think, you know, probably academia's goals. And I want to see new futures for design that go in all sorts of different ways and, and expansive ways. Um, and so if we keep thinking of design education as training for jobs, I think that limits that in some way. And so that's what I meant when I was kind of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's briefly talk about podcasting. You, uh, your podcast is called Scratching the Surface. Congrats on what six years now and over yeah. two hundred episodes. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Can you can you tell us how that project started? 
Yeah, so it started when I was in grad school in 2015. I was in my first year of grad school at MICA, and I went back to grad school after working in industry. I went back thinking that I wanted to become a writer and become a design writer. And so my thesis at grad school was about the intersection of design and writing. I was really interested in like, how do people who are designer, how, how do people who write about design who are also designers, how do those influence each other? It's kind of like what your first question, your second question was to me. Um, is it different in some way? Does it change the work that you're doing if you're also writing about design? And so I started interviewing people who were also, who were designers who were also writers uh, for my thesis, whatever that would become. Um, at the time, I thought it was going to be like a printed book, you know, kind of a traditional MFA thesis. And I realized that the interviews were actually really interesting of themselves, uh, that they didn't need to go into some other format. And at the time, I was listening to a ton of podcasts. I was like obsessed with podcasts at the time um, and was interested in that as a medium and sort of interested in the way I consumed them and found found all of the mechanics of that to be really interesting. And so I turned my thesis into a podcast. And so the first, I don't know, 20 episodes or so of Scratching the Surface are actually what I submitted in grad school for my MFA thesis. And when I graduated, basically realized that A, all of these questions are just raising more questions for me. Um, and there's actually more people interested in these ideas than I realized. And so I sort of turned that thesis into a more public facing podcast and <laughs> haven't stopped. It's yeah. just kept going other, ever since. It's sort of expanded beyond that sort of design writing uh, framework that those early episodes were. Um, but, th but a lot of that kind of core questioning is still sort of in the DNA of the show, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think in our early episode, Michael Beirut kind of brought up this, this point that, you know, somebody could... Uh, drop into any episode and kind of this podcast mm. serves as like almost like a, a a capsule of this particular time in in this industry which mm. i thought was a was a cool description yeah i mean i think i think he said that did he say that in like the 50th episode that was like the one year anniversary i think he was episode? actually interviewing you for that episode right right yeah. right um and that's that actually became i remember that and and that's in many ways, it's kind of how I think of the podcast now is like, I, this is sort of a, a survey of what I think are the important conversations of our time in, in the sort of design and adjacent worlds. So have you, you know, with that said, have you ever considered kind of reformatting that for a book? Or is this something that will, you know, purely stay in kind of this audio format? Um. Yes, I have nothing to announce, but I am interested in I am interested in doing a book and I have thoughts on doing a book and I've had conversations with people about doing a book and I think that is something that will happen at some point in the future. <laughs> and that's I mean, all it I'll makes sense. Yeah, 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 and sorry I don't want to go too far down yeah. there, but um it I mean it, it it seemed to me only a matter of time with your love of books that eventually yeah. in some way that this you know would be translated to that the one other thing is like, I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about like visual literacy and even just the format of podcasts is I think when you take these conversations and then you put them into a book form that is received differently and that reaches a different type of audience. And there's new ways you can treat that content 
And that sort of speaks to all my interests about writing and design and books, like you said. And so how can I take this 200 plus hours of content and make something new out of it? And I think a book is a great way to do that. It seems like you're, you're somewhat surprised that it's still going. Do you see Scratching the Surface ending? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always, there's always answers and the answers always create more questions. Um, I, sus- I mean, to be completely honest with you, I have thought multiple times that the show was going to end. Um, I have, I have you know, said amongst colleagues and friends that I was ending it. There have been times where I was sort of burnt out on it and, and thought that it was going to end. I kind of was like wanting it to end. There's, there have been multiple moments throughout the history where I thought, this is it. It has done what it needs to do. Let me end it. Um, and I can't, I can't ever quite bring myself to do it. Like even after I like say that and commit to it, and I, it goes back to what you said earlier. You know, it's a, it's a selfish endeavor, and the conversations that I have on the show are so fulfilling to me, and they still do something to me and my practice. Um, they, they energize me. They get me thinking about things in new ways. They. They inspire me. They give me new perspectives. And the podcast is a really convenient way to have long-form, deep conversations with people. And once it stops doing that for me personally is probably when the show will end. Um, but it, it's like, I kind of need it. it like, it's like there, there's something about those conversations that just inform everything else um and 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 so once it feels like it no longer does that i think i think that that will be it i've just started recording the new batch for the new season and it was going to be really interesting this is the first break i've ever taken um what it's like to kind of get back into it and it's like oh i've missed this um i've missed having these conversations and so i guess that's that's uh, sort of the reason it keeps going will it end Yes. When I have no, I have no idea. Even if the listenership drops off to zero, and it's like I still just like like talking to these people, it will probably still go go on. You know. Can you recall uh, a specific episode, a specific interview Um, that uh, that changed you in some way, or you were surprised by? I can tell you a couple. Um, I mean, there were two episodes that were almost back to back that I found very. Um, they felt like they were shifting in some way. And the first was uh, a conversation with Brian Boyer, which was probably like in the 70s. And then shortly after that, I had a conversation with Peter Mendelssohn. Um, Brian Boyer is a sort of former architect turned strategic designer. And the way he talked about strategy and what it means to be strategic design felt like it sort of encapsulated so many things that I was interested in and gave sort of language to a lot of the things I was interested in. And I feel like that set up so many episodes that came after. And then at the same time, right, I think they were in like the same month. I talked to Peter Mendelssohn, the, the obviously great book cover designer, and his his sort of apathy towards graphic design was so striking to me and so surprising to me. Um, and 
the way he sort of talked about turning to other fields to kind of find that fulfillment that he didn't think graphic design could do um, was was like, I don't know. It was like, I was like, oh, you can feel that way. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, like, oh, I get that. I relate to that. And so those two happened very close to each other. And I remember those two being very close to each other. And I remember like the feeling of talking to both of them, feeling like, these episodes will change the show uh in some kind of profound way um i also uh sort of the the episode that i kind of hold up to me as like the ideal scratching the surface sort of like the platonic this is what scratching the surface should be was my conversation with deanna van buren who's a architect and uh kind of prison reform activist and the way that conversation, and specifically the way she talked about it, um, sort of the intersection of design and activism and how the built environment uh, realizes racial injustices and, and sort of structures our world, um, to me, that's what scratching the surface should be. I think, you know, if you listen to every episode, you hopefully you notice a move away from the strictly biographical. A lot of the early episodes were like, how did you get to do what you are doing? And there's still some of that, but that has become secondary to these big ideas. How, how does design actually shape our world? And she was like, just such a great articulate um, sort of example of that. And so I kind of hold that up as like, this is what I want the show to be. You know what I mean? So that that was a very influential episode for me. I know I, I listened to the the Boyer and Mendelssohn. I'll have to go back and find. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they hold up, to be yeah, honest. Like, <laughs> I haven't listened to them since. But I remember at the time feeling like the, these are important episodes. Have you considered uh, revisiting specific guests to see if their thoughts have changed or maybe redo it? Maybe you didn't ask the questions you really wanted to ask. I have considered that and there are definitely like conversations that I, I'm not going to name names here, mm-hmm. but conversations yeah. where I, where I wish I could do it again, or th- that's more on me than on them where it's like, Oh, I actually have a different set of questions that I would ask you now if I could talk to you again. Um, well, I promise as soon as we get off of here, I'm going to have five questions that I wish I asked. Oh yeah. It always happens. It always <laughs> happens. Uh, I've started dabbling with this a little bit in the, uh, I run a Patreon that sort of helps people mm-hmm. can kind of pay to to support the show. And one of the benefits of that is a monthly newsletter that only goes to paying members. I'm not trying to to sell it here, but sell it. Um, you know, that one of the features of that newsletter is a short text interview with a former guest. Mm. Uh, and so it's people who have been on the show before and usually they have something new that they're doing or they have a book out or they've changed careers or it's just like you were really early and I have new questions. Yeah. And it's usually like five or six questions about like what they're doing now, how their views have changed since the show. Like, you know, I'll reference something we talked about. Um, and that's sort of my way to do that. And that goes to to members. It's it's a more the the answers can be a little more casual because they know it's going to a smaller audience than the, the larger podcast audience. It's writ, it's text so they can kind of edit themselves in real time. Um, would I do that on the show ever? I don't know. 
I've thought about it, um, but I haven't figured out a way to make it sort of make sense for the structure of the show. Yeah. I know you've answered this before, but maybe for, um, you know, anybody listening, what is one book that every designer should read that is not specifically about design? Um, the first one that immediately came to my mind was Stuart Brand's book, How Buildings Learn, which is sort of like ostensibly about architecture, but not really. It's basically about like how buildings evolve over their use case. That book has been hugely influential to me. Another one is um, this book called The Image by Daniel Borston. Uh, Daniel Borston was a media theorist in like the 60s and 70s. And this book, The Image, just like completely explains sort of our contemporary moment. He was so ahead of his time, he coined this term called the pseudo event, which is like an event that is strictly designed to get attention. Um, and it, it completely explains social media and it's a very sort of designy type type thing. Um, and then one more, one more quick one is this novel called A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, which is like the most designed book uh, I've ever read. She writes in different modes of writing. Uh, one of the chapters is written as if it were a PowerPoint presentation. It's structured very interestingly. I think it's like it's just like a really great kind of designed uh, piece of text. All right. So last last two questions. Uh, you've talked about this Ira Glass quote a couple of times it's coming up on the podcast and it's not the one that, you know, everybody's probably right, thinking, right, right. but it is something along the lines of, you know, the, the way you have a sustained creative career is to keep making the job harder for yourself. So yeah. what, what's next for you? How are you making the work, whether it's design, teaching, writing, or, or podcasting, how are you making it harder on yourself? Yeah, I love that you brought that up because everybody always does talk about the other Ira Glass quote about like the the gap between the gap. like skills and taste and and like that thing about making your job harder. He just like offhandedly said in an interview and I just could never shake it and I think about it all the time and nobody ever asked me about it. And every time I quote it to other people they like nod thinking I'm going to say the known yes. quote <laughs> and then are kind of confused that I said something else. Um I mean, it, in in a couple ways, I last year took a full-time teaching position at, uh, and left New York where I had lived for a long time and was teaching adjunct. And some of that was to make it harder for myself to like be a professional academic um, was sort of a, a shift that I thought could be a way to do that. Um, and so that's one. And I'm like a year into that. And I think that's definitely making it <laughs> making it harder on myself. Um, I'm kind of always, we, we've talked around this a lot, but I'm always interested in like exploring other mediums or other, you know, things that I haven't done. So I'm like kind of interested in what else could I do with video or like how could I kind of take things that I'm doing and put those into new formats, whether that be video or book kind of playing with formats in a new way. is like, I, I think another way to make it harder on myself um and i'm really i've really been focusing on the last um well I, I, i'll have two more things i've really been focusing on the last couple of years on on writing and becoming a better writer doing more writing writing in different ways thinking about the craft of writing um i'm wanting to write things more long form i'm wanting to write things that are more personal uh and writing about design from a personal way which is very hard for me to do and so so sort of modes of writing is another one and then i'm interested i think you know 
close listeners of the show will know that I have an interest in administration and sort of um, the the organizing structures of institutions. And I think that is something that I have not done yet that would severely make my work harder that I would like to do in the future, move into, you know, some sort of administrative role, I think would be fascinating. Last question, two recommendations that could be anything, books, movies, a show or album, piece of design, anything. Jake, you, you sent me this yesterday to say to do this and I have not (laughs) stopped thinking about it. And I have like gone back and forth and like edited this answer. And I, I, it's, it is the hardest question that you've asked, uh, (laughs) this whole conversation. Um, (laughs) it's so hard to recommend things, um, just like cold like that even prepared it's like well who am i am i recommending this to jake am i recommending this to listeners yeah to me what are my why am i picking these recommendations so i'm gonna pick i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend two things that are are completely unrelated to everything that we've talked about so far um the first is uh subscribing to the criterion channel which is um, the Criterion Collection streaming service. I'm a huge movie fan. I love watching movies. I watch movies all the time. Um, and about a year ago, I subscribed to the Criterion channel. And I love it because, A, they have like real curators who like put movies by odd themes. And so it's like, you know, watch color noir films or here's everything from this single director. And it's just a, it's like a great film history 101 if you're interested in cinema and film and movies. Uh, and then they have like, they get like famous actors to record why movies meant something to them. It's like, I think if, if anyone's interested in movies, you, you need to subscribe to the Criterion channel and just like watch as many of these movies as you can because like there are so like i I just went through the entire cinema cinematography the entire filmography of uh vim vendors the the great like german filmmaker and like watching them all back to back like that is just like an incredible experience uh you see how he evolved you see like oh these themes that he returns to again and again um I love it. I, I spend as much time as I can watching Criterion Channel. And then the other one is, is so not me, but I've been reading this summer a, a comic series or graphic novel series called Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. I am not a comic person. I've like read a couple comic books throughout my life. I've like watched all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but I, would, I don't identify as a comic person. Um, but so many people recommended the series Saga to me, which is like this sort of intergalactic uh, fantasy uh, epic. And it does not seem like something I would be interested in at all. Um, but I can't get enough of it. And I love it. And it's like, it's yes, it's about this like intergalactic, you know, kind of epic. But it's also just a story about parenting and childhood and refugees and immigration and war and class there's so many ideas it so relates to like the real world told in this fantastical thing which is just so not what i'm usually drawn to um and when i when i went to the comic book shop and like bought the first issue the the woman behind the counter she's like are you getting this for yourself or are you getting this for, <laughs> for somebody else yeah <laughs> and i said i'm getting it for myself and she's like 
it's so good. She's like, I tell people, if you don't like comics, this is your intro to comics. Like this gets so many people into it. And she then just like raved about it for five minutes while she was like checking out my, my order. And it's true. It, it is so true. If you are not a comic person, um, Which give Saga a try. Yeah. Well, I think you should give Saga a try. It's like, I'm, I'm completely blown away by the storytelling and the narrative and, and the ideas in this. And I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm maybe like five five books in so far and yeah. it's it's so good do you see that kind of opening up that kind of whole world that whole genre for you now or is this something like maybe i mean it might i i picked up the when i went to get the last issue i picked up another series by brian vaughn who wrote saga that that um uh, called Paper Girls that is now an Amazon series. And people were talking about the Amazon series. They're like, oh, well, it's by this guy that I like. And then like the comic book person, like the the worker, the employee there was like, oh, if you like these, you would also like this one and this one. And I looked at him like, wait, I think I would like this one and this one. Am I a comic person now? <laughs> uh, so we'll see. Talk to me in like a couple yeah. months and we'll see if I'm just like deeper down in this rabbit yeah. hole or not. Well, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, I mean, the only comic that I have is, it's kind of meta because it talks about comics is Understanding Comics. Understand. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, I haven't for a long time, that was the only one that. I had read. Yeah. 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 Me too. It was like, I read that like 10 years ago and then like 10 years later, I'm now actually reading comics too. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely have to check, check that out. Jared, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me and, and giving some you know, some honest answers and responses to these. Um, they weren't all easy questions or anything. So thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. You can find more information about Jarrett Fuller at his website, jarrettfuller.com. His podcast, Scratching the Surface, can be found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can support that show on Patreon. This episode was recorded on Thursday, August 11th, 2022 in the Visual Arts Center in Ruston, Louisiana. Music is by Scott Campbell. You can find more of my projects at jakedugard.com or follow at jakedugard on Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a good rating. Thanks.